Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. You're right. How are you doing? Happy Monday. Welcome to a new week and that slow wind down into Christmas where no one really does any work. Hell. Even football looks like it's going to be taking a break for the festive period this year, although that could be by necessity over a choice. I'm afraid we will, of course, be talking COVID-19, Omicron and all its friends on today's podcast as the 20 Premier League clubs settle down around a table, hopefully socially distanced, and decide what they're going to do with the rest of the Premier League calendar. There's also some pretty juicy transfer stories out there to get our teeth into, including a Brazilian footballing superstar who could be heading to Newcastle and the suggestion that Paul Pogba may never pull on a Manchester United shirt again. To discuss everything on and off the pitch today, it's the Monday Dream Team of Marley Anderson and Noel McCorn. How are you doing, boys? I'm good, I'm good. It's, um, it's a bit deja vu at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like we're back 24 months ago. <laughs> you know, Paul Pogba could be on his way out of United. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's everything. It's just everything cyclical yeah. coming around again. <laughs> yeah, very much so. But, um, you know, you say that this feels like the time of year when no one does any work. I think there's a lot of work to be done behind the scenes at the Premier League because they're going to have to sort this problem out sooner rather than later, I think. Yeah, it's a real complicated issue that's going to be unpicked as well. We will talk about that shortly, but we are going to start, as we always do on a Monday, with a quick game of heroes and villains, looking back at the weekend and charting the best and the worst of things that have happened. So we're all going to pick a hero, then we're all going to pick a villain. Niall, I think you can go first with your hero pick today. Well, there wasn't a great deal of football on this weekend, and (laughs) that made it quite a bit more difficult to pick heroes and villains and it's hard to pick a hero but I'm going to pick yesterday's game between Spurs and Liverpool so no specific individual hero for me but just very much the Premier League yesterday was obviously much more fallow than usual because of the lack of games but Spurs against Liverpool was a really enjoyable watch and as a neutral it was just breath breathless really the first half was great Liverpool started on the front foot. Spurs managed to press them high up the pitch, win the ball back on a couple of occasions. Liverpool with a disjointed and unusual midfield. Harry Kane scores. Deli Alley misses a great chance to make it two. Son misses a great chance to make it two. Liverpool back into it through Jota with some poor defending from Tottenham. Harry Kane should have been sent off. Robertson was sent off. Game finished 2-2. Passionate managers on the touchline. What looked like to me a full stadium in London for possibly the last time for a while. So it was hard to pick a hero yesterday as an individual. But in terms of a spectacle and a game, um, I really enjoyed that game between Spurs and Liverpool. That's one of the best games I can remember seeing this season. And I think that a lot of people are in agreement with me because, you know, it's it's hard to digest when you hear that football might be um, stopped for a while like it was a couple of years ago. But for that game to be 
um, so entertaining on what could possibly be the, the final weekend of the Premier League for a little bit of uh, time to come. Uh, I thought it was a really good spectacle. So I enjoyed it and uh, that would be my choice, I think. Good call. It's one of those games as well, I think, that indicates that it will be so gutting if the Premier League season is cancelled or curtailed in some way because it is ridiculously competitive. You see teams that are pulling away. Like earlier in the season, we thought Chelsea had it and they've dropped off. Liverpool, you wouldn't have expected to drop points against Spurs yesterday. You expected Mohamed Salah to continue that record-breaking run he's on in terms of goals and assists in each game. And he didn't do that and Liverpool didn't win. It's There's a lot of... A lot of peaks and troughs and runners and riders in this Premier League race. And it's looking like a really good season. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of peaks and troughs and runners and riders in the game. Um, you know, Son Heung-min somehow had a terrible game but still scored. Harry Kane missed more chances than I saw on a Sunday league match this weekend that I was watching down the local recce. Um, and it's just <laughs> one of those games where I said, I turned around, I was watching it with my brother, actually. And I turned around to him and I said, Harry Winks has been terrible today. And then I go on Twitter and everyone's saying, Harry Winks had a good game today. And I just thinking it was one of those games where you could pick out any individual. You know, for instance, I thought Son, who just, he just feel like he, he had his shoes on the wrong feet, his boots on the wrong feet, because some of the times he was getting the ball, he was losing control of it. It was uncharacteristic for Son, almost like his head was getting above his, above the ball or ahead of the ball. And he kept losing balance and he missed a couple of chances, but then he scores. And I know similarly with Kane, you know, Kane scores, but then, couldn't hit a barn door for the rest of the game. So it's just one of those where you look at players and you think, you know, you've had a, a good slash bad game. It's one of those matches where players have had good and bad games at the same time. And I just really enjoyed it. I just thought it was a great spectacle. And it's factored into what is an exciting title race. And it's probably going to be, yeah, as you say, a very entertaining Premier League season from now. Unbelievably, Spurs, if they win all their games in hands now, will be just one point off Arsenal in fourth. So considering we were talking about them at the start of the season as being potential relegation candidates, even if it was a bit tongue-in-cheek, they've actually really picked up towards the latter half of this season, or the point we're at anyway. OK, Marley, who's your hero? Um, I'm struggling to pick a hero, to be honest. Cause, again, because there was, there was such little action. Like You've usually got somewhat to... To get your teeth into a little bit, but uh, out of everyone, I'd I'd probably say Jao Cancelo was was the hero for me. I think he's 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 just ridiculously good, isn't he? Like he's just he plays the game so different to um, to how a fullback plays football. Usually, you know, it's uh, he 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 tore Newcastle apart at the weekend. Pretty much um, had the run of the green, which didn't didn't help um in terms of you know we did, Newcastle just didn't know what to do with him obviously it's the one game I, I sat and watched um and he was just too good for for everyone like it fullbacks play in a certain way but he plays basically like a another center midfielder um floating into space it's almost like a free roll of a fullback it's bizarre how how it works in in terms of a, a full system um but it works brilliantly and he was uh, he capped it off with with a fantastic goal which was again defended terribly but still a fantastic goal um, and he got an assist as well which is sums up how well he's playing right now He's one of those players isn't he Cancelo who was always decent but just seems to have stepped up a gear this year and we see it time and time again with players that come to Manchester City and play under Pep Guardiola that it can take them 12 months, 18 months to kind of truly settle and flourish and he's just the latest example of that. Makes you wonder what we're going to get out of Jack Grealish in 12 months time. Yeah, imagine uh it do, it does to be fair. I mean, Man City have been through quite a lot of fullbacks as well if you think of like uh Danilo was was there for a while. Um Walker's obviously always been there, but the, that was the one area that needed in like investment in when when Guardiola came to the club because he had cliche color of Sanya uh, and they were all like mid <laughs> mid thirties and he was like well they all need replacing you just listing those names off Marley just makes you think about how Man City have this ability to just sign players and make their team exponentially better I mean those are all good players like ten years ago Bakary Sanya was a decent fullback but he's not going to go down in the Premier League as someone who you know, made a difference in games the way that Cancelo does. It's yeah. just... It it's was an just, Arsenal cast-off at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, precisely. But, I mean, it's a huge a huge upgrade, isn't it? And people always talk about how Pep spends £50 million a season on fullbacks. Well, fullbacks are so important in the modern game. <laughs> and, you know, like, like Marley says, if you compare the names that they've had 
to the names they've got now it's um it's obvious progression you know in 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 the 10 years or eight years or whatever it is in the six years since pep's been there it's so clear and obvious that that they've made progression and i think Cancelo started a bit slowly i think he was quite poor actually if i remember rightly city fans might disagree yeah, at one point they were they were trying to get rid of him. Uh, well, according to some rumours, they were going to swap him for someone else or something like that. It was, he wasn't that. That's how sort of not important he was mm. at one point. But yeah, turned it around. he's so good, so good. He almost drifts into midfield, doesn't he, Marley? Like he, he cuts him from fullback, and then sometimes you'll see him in like a ten position. And I know Guardiola's fullbacks play quite wide anyway. But if you're a defending team trying to mark Cancelo, I mean, what do you do? Do you go man for man like Leeds do? Or do you just let him do his thing and hope that he doesn't do anything? Because he's always assisting. He's added goals as well in the last couple of seasons. It's just like if you, if you're a, if he's a fullback and you're the other fullback trying to mark Cancelo, do you get sucked out of position and, and track him when he goes into those midfield areas? He's such a hard player to deal with, and that's what makes him so good as well. I don't think any. I think you'd ever do what Leeds are doing at the moment. I think that'd be a really foolish thing to do in terms of football <laughs> management. Uh, I'm going to wrap up this hero section with my hero of the year. I'm going to give it to Gareth Southgate for winning Coach of the Year at last night's Sports Personality of the Year Awards, which I've got to confess isn't an awards ceremony I'm a particular fan of. I can't think of many things more boring than sitting down and watching Sports Personality of the Year. But I think Gareth Southgate was a worthy winner of Coach of the Year and maybe should have even potentially been closer into winning the whole thing as well because we make loads of jokes around this stuff, don't we, about the Sports Personality of the Year not necessarily having a personality. Mm. And I kind of agree to oh a success. Yeah. Well, yeah. It winds me up so much. We should explain that to our American listeners that Sports Personality of the Year is not for someone's personality because if it was for personality, Gareth Southgate, I don't think, would have even been nominated, to be honest. No, he's not. The, he's, <laughs> he's definitely not. He's not the man you want to get stuck at a party with, is he? Unless you want to sit discussing waistcoats for 45 minutes. He's not the bloke you want to be stuck in the corner with. But I think you look back at the last 12 months and you go, Gareth Southgate, his achievements on and off the pitch kind of did need to be recognised. First, the England stuff. Yeah, he got England to the final of the Euros. Huge achievement. Most successful England team that Mm. I've seen in my lifetime. The football wasn't great always, but I think the fact he got there is a massive achievement and it was kind of a necessity to play the football that got England there in the first place. And no one would have complained about the football had we beaten the Italians on penalties. But on the other side of things, that's kind of his job. That's what he's there to do. He's there to make England a successful football team. What I think he deserves credit for over the last 12 months is the way he's spoken out against things that he sees as wrong and the way he's tried to put his best moral foot forward. And I think it's above what is expected from someone in his position on some occasions. And I think it would have been easier on some occasions for him to keep his mouth shut. So he spoke out on BLM. Uh, the movement there and why England would continue to support it. He spoke up for his players and condemned the racism that the players that missed penalties in the Euro Championships final experienced on social media. And I think when he has made those statements, when he's written a letter or spoken in a press conference, he's always chosen his words really thoughtfully and really carefully. And I think what he's done for England is he's galvanised not only the team that played for him, the team in front of him, but he's also galvanised the nation behind him to a certain extent with the words he's used. So, yeah, I think he is my hero of the week because maybe he doesn't get enough recognition for that side of things. And it was nice to see him get Coach of the Year at the Sports Personality of the Year Awards last night. Unfortunately, my hero award doesn't come with an impressive, shiny trophy. It just comes with my words of encouragement. So hopefully that'll (laughs) do for you, Gareth. Uh, Right, let's move on to the fun bit. Let's do villains. Niall, who is your villain of the piece from this weekend? Yeah, much like my hero from this weekend's Premier League games, it was hard to pick an individual, particularly amongst the match officials, because there were so many poor performances. And yet again, we're here on a Monday on Football Social Daily talking about the standard of refereeing or the poor standard, I should say, you know, and lamenting the decisions or the lack thereof made by some of our match officials in the Premier League. We're supposed to be the best league in the world. So why don't we have the best officials in the world? Is that because it's a harder league to referee? And that's not saying that refereeing isn't a hard job. I've done it, actually. Uh, I, I did it when I was younger and it's tough. It's difficult to referee football matches. And, you know, VAR was introduced to aid the referees, but it's not being used. I mean, Harry Kane should have been sent off in that game. 
Robertson was sent off. You can understand why Jurgen Klopp flipped his lid. He often does when they don't win a game and he often blames it on the referee, but I think he's probably got a point. I was tearing my hair out watching that game yesterday, as fun as it was, with the referee Paul Tierney because he was given yellow cards for things that I thought weren't yellow cards and then he gives a yellow card to a tackle which was probably a red card. And VAR doesn't look at it. And, and, you know, I don't know whether this is a problem with the actual referees or whether it's a problem with VAR. I mean, we're probably going to open a whole new can of worms like we do every couple of weeks on the show. But it's just a problem that isn't going away. And, you know, we talk about this being the best league in the world. Clubs sign the best players from across the globe to play in this division to make their teams better. Why aren't we signing referees from across Europe to make the league better? We want the best referees, right? What is is our refereeing worse? Is it? I mean, is it is it a problem with refereeing in the Premier League, or is it a problem with refereeing around Europe? I think it's a combination of our match officials probably aren't quite good enough. I don't think that's a lack of fitness because they all, they're all rigorously fitness tested uh, before every season. I think it's a problem that I mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that you can't replicate match situations. Now, referees can be full-time, work Monday to Friday and have a game on a Saturday. But if there's only one game a week, you can't replicate a, a, a football match. You just have to, to live it and experience it and do it. You know, it's not like nowadays you see these VR headsets. Like we've used them before. We used Rezzle, didn't we, a couple of years ago in Manchester where we put the VR headset on and we simulated uh, doing some training drills on the training ground. I think that's easy enough to do for a player. But you can't replicate a match situation. There are so many different variables um, and different decisions to be made that no two matches are ever the same. And it's such it's something that's difficult to practice. So I do have sympathy for referees. But if you look at the games this weekend and, and you mentioned, is it a problem with, with just English referees? Probably not. I'm sure that there are plenty of um, refereeing decisions overseas and on the continent which are poor. It's just a, just a product of the game we live in. We're still going to have poor refereeing decisions. But if you think about the three games yesterday, two of them I can think of had terrible decisions in. The Tottenham game against Liverpool and Marley will tell you the Newcastle game against Man City. Now City run out comfortable winners and they would have done anyway. But why wasn't Edison sent off? It's just it's just so frustrating because of the consistency. And every referee is different and this is always going to be the case. You know, it, it's like I've said before. Refereeing decisions are going to be debated until the end of time, regardless of whether there's technology or not. But I can understand the frustration of the supporters. You know, like for me yesterday, Tierney giving yellow cards for... There was a foul on the edge of the box. I think it was from Emerson. It was just a normal foul. It wasn't reckless. It wasn't excessive force. And he gives him a book in. I, I, just, I just didn't understand. It was just a free kick. Like, just give a foul. Get on with it. Like, you don't need to book every player for every foul. Um, that was frustrating, the way he refereed the game. Um, I didn't agree with Jurgen Klopp's comments to Tierney after the game, by the way, saying I've only got a problem with you, which is not true because he has a, a problem with everyone. Yeah. When he loses, when they don't win, he is the most He's horrible, horrendous man. Yeah, man. yeah. he has a problem with every referee. It's not just Tierney. So to, to kind of make Tierney feel small because his team weren't good enough to win the three points was uh, was poor from Klopp. But yeah, I mean, well, I'd be interested in your take, Marley, because I imagine your villain probably would have been something very similar, I guess, from the frustrations out of the game that you had with City. And like I said, I don't think it would have changed the score too much, but you know, you never know. It's frustrating when you see teams like Man City. Um, your team, Newcastle, would have needed a bit of a leg up against City to get anything out of the game. And then you see a blatant red card not given or a blatant penalty not given, sorry. Um, it's just like, well, it just must be so frustrating. Well, go on then. Let's move straight into Marley's villain. Is it going to be as you predict, Niall? Um, do you know what? It actually isn't, but um, it could have been. <laughs> like it, it easily could have been, because I'm baffled as to how how that decision comes about. I don't know how you can take out a a player when he's when, like off the ball. Like if if that isn't a foul, what is stopping? I mean, um, Ryan Fraser said it to uh, to the club um, interview. The, the club, the club media. Um, after the game, he said, "What's stopping me just going and volleying someone in the in the center of the park when someone else has got the ball? If that's if that's how we're playing this, because it's just it's bizarre how how that decision got made. But um, you know, as as Niall mentioned that that I said yesterday, it wouldn't have made too much of a difference to the uh, to the scoreline, which is why I settled on my villain of the week once again being Kieran Clark. Um, and it was it, it was. 
a few weeks ago, wasn't it the the Norwich game, and I I um, selected him as my villain of the week for pulling Timu Puki back in in like the eighth minute of a you know ninety minute game, a must win game. Um, and he this is the first game he's been available since, and for some bizarrely he came back into the team. I don't know how. Um, probably rotation because we made a few few rotations here and there, like St. Maximan was on the bench, for example. Um, so it was probably a rotation thing. He comes back in, and five six minutes in, he somehow lets that cross bounce in uh, in 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 the box when Cancelo hooks it back over, and it's landing right on his forehead. All he's got to do is power it away, um, and instead of doing that, he he, he waits for Debravka. But do you reckon he gets w- a call from Debravka? He must do surely because the ball's well, right on his head. Just well, nod how, it out how, for a corner or power it out. How can he? Because if he if he has a call for it, Dubravka's then obviously coming towards the ball. You know what I mean? Like, if if Dubravka had said anything, he would have already been moving towards the ball. Um, but Dubravka... Maybe it's that old Sunday league trick where one of the City players shouts, mine, maybe, just confuse everyone. <laughs> so yeah, don't leave it! Ruben Diaz was behind him saying, well, in in his perfect Slovakian uh, little twang, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, maybe maybe he's got voice recognition or something, yeah. But it, it was bizarre. It's like... If you're a defender, like you have to take everything into your own hands. Like you have to fear the worst, and you have to predict the worst is going to happen. And if you've got a chance to stop that happening, you do it. And in that situation, you head that ball away as far as you possibly can, head it out for a corner, even do anything you want. But once you go one nil down to Man City after seven minutes or whatever it was, you are absolutely absolutely knackered. And also, you've even put that seed of doubt into the defense of like. There's a weak link there. We're going to exploit it, and you just you just make it so much harder for yourself. But I mean, it's it just it wound me up. I wanted to punch him uh, again, and I, I was actually hoping Dubravka got more mad at him because I would I would have literally I wanted him to just go up and grab him and like f- put some fire in the team and say, look, you've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop being crap, Kieran. <laughs> like you've got <laughs> you've got to be better. <laughs> you know we we are rubbish, but you've got to be better. Like you know you've got two weeks until the transfer window opens, and you're the first one on the plane out mm. uh, for me. But yeah, he was he was the villain again, um, and tune in again in two weeks' time when he does something else stupid, and he'll be my villain again. Eleven days until the transfer window opens, and a potential Clark replacement can come in. We'll get onto transfers shortly. Going to wrap up with my villain of. The weekend, which is whoever is making the calls when it comes to cancelling games because of COVID and Omicron and infections in the camp and whatnot, because whatever it is they're doing, and I know it's a difficult thing to get right, but they're making a mess of it at the moment. Burnley versus Aston Villa this weekend, or Aston Villa versus Burnley, I should say, cancelled with two hours and 20 minutes notice, which I just don't think is long enough. And I was looking at how long it takes to get a train from Burnley to Birmingham New Street takes three hours to get a train from Burnley to Birmingham New Street. So I reckon the Burnley fans would have just settled in on their carriages, got a couple of cans going, ordered one of those weird microwavable bacon butties you get from the buffet cart, and then boom, would have had a notification that the game was off, and they still have to go all the way to Birmingham and all the way back again. The worst thing is they've got to go all the way back to Burnley. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the thoughts of Marley Anderson and Not Football Social Daily. Uh, We'll be talking more about those COVID restrictions and what is going to happen over the next few weeks to Premier League football next on Football Social Daily because there's a big meeting happening today. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This episode of the podcast is supported by Spond, which is a new app that takes the hard work out of teamwork. If you're the designated organiser of your mate's five-a-side football game or your baseball game or your bowling club or whatever it is, you know that it can be bloody hard work. Reminding people when the games are on, making sure you've got enough people to play and most importantly, the most difficult bit, collecting the cash at the end of the game. Spond takes all the effort out of all of those things and when you're organising any type of group event, not just sports, you can find the Spond app, that's S-P-O-N-D, in the App Store and the Play Store. Download it on your phone and then you can use it to set up your events, send out calendar invites, manage attendance, create polls, share files and most importantly, as I say, collect money from everyone. It's a time saver. 
And on average, if you're a sports coach that uses it, you save two and a half hours of admin every single week. Millions of people are using it and it's still pretty new. So you can see what the fuss is about by heading to the App Store, searching Spond, give it a go. Risk-free, cost-free, fee-free and ad-free. So there's literally nothing to lose by giving it a go and having a try. S-P-O-N-D. Search that in the App Store. And right now, with potential restrictions on the horizon, it could be more useful than ever. Those restrictions at the top level of football, we don't know what's going to happen yet, but there is a meeting of Premier League teams today, 20 of them all getting together to decide what is going to happen to football over the next few weeks and how they're going to get ahead of the curve in terms of the Omicron virus, keeping players and fans and officials all safe. The meeting is at one o'clock, this COVID crisis meeting. Before we get on to that, there is a little bit of breaking news which relates to this. And the news is that Tottenham Hotspurs have been kicked out of the Europa Conference League because UEFA have ruled that they forfeited their final match against Rennes, which you might recall was called off because of the outbreak of covid at Spurs at the time. They couldn't play that game. They weren't allowed to travel and they didn't want to obviously play that game. I mean, that is an interesting backdrop for these discussions, isn't it, Niall? Because you've got a club here who fundamentally have done the right thing by calling off this game and are now going to be punished for it by UEFA. Yeah, I mean, this is frustrating for Spurs and Antonio Conte, but also it's how difficult this situation is to address. And, you know, UEFA don't always make the right decision as we've seen in the past, particularly when it comes to fines and bans being handed out for abhorrent things like racism. They didn't kick Slavia Prague out of the Europa League for being racist, but they've kicked Spurs out for having a genuine injury crisis which endangered public health and endangered the health of their players and yet they've been booted out of the competition for it. I can understand why UEFA have done this. They need to stick to a timeline there's a tournament tree that needs to be drawn up. Surely Spurs took some kind of advice before going, oh, we're just not going to turn up. We're not going to play this game. Surely they were in conversation with UEFA at that point. I can't remember what happened now, to be honest with you. I thought, well, I mean, Tottenham couldn't play it fundamentally because they had, they had too many people with COVID in their squad. Well, then, OK, there's a difference then between the UEFA competition rules and the Premier League competition rules. The Premier League competition rules state that if a certain percentage of your players are out with coronavirus, then you're entitled to call the game off you have grounds to get the game postponed obviously UEFA that that doesn't wash with UEFA it seems like then in the UEFA competitions if you have coronavirus in your squad and you can't field a team you forfeit the game that's obviously the rules and that's why Spurs have been kicked out so I guess in UEFA's case if that is the case then they're just adhering to the rules that they've set themselves but then again that's a fundamental problem with the rules I mean would it not have made sense to to replay the game it's just a difficult one for me. I mean, whenever UEFA hand out these sanctions and punishments, I'm always left scratching my head because for an unfortunate incident, Spurs have been punished with a place in Europe. And I don't think it will bother Conte too much because it means he can focus on the Premier League, of which there are multiple games in hand that they've got. But also, it's a chance for Tottenham to win a trophy, something that they haven't done for a long time. And even though it's only the Europa Conference League, it's something. And they would have had a decent chance of winning it had they picked up some form. And I guess my second point is, okay, yeah, it might be UEFA rules or whatever, but the knockout stages aren't until February and March. That's ages away. That is absolutely ages away. Surely there's surely there's time for them to, to squeeze this game in. Surely. But anyway, yeah, just a, just a difficult one for me. Um, but yeah, it, 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 again, as you said, it sort of highlights the, the problem we face at the moment and, uh, and, and what the authorities will have to come to a decision over at some point this afternoon and I'm sure that we'll see uh, the Boxing Day schedule either completely stripped back or just knocked back a couple of days just to let this thing subside but again there's other question marks as to whether it even will so who knows it's not an easy decision but yeah it's a tough one for Spurs. The Spurs situation is developing as we speak it literally broke about 10 minutes ago Um, so just to add a bit of clarity around that Tottenham are out of the Europa Conference League UEFA have ruled that they forfeited their final match against Rennes it happened on 9th of December or supposed to happen on 9th of December Spurs had 13 positive cases which meant they couldn't fulfil that fixture UEFA said at the time that it could not be rescheduled and referred the matter to its disciplinary body 
Yeah. And then it says it, it awarded Wren a 3-0 win. Yeah. They topped the group with Vitesse runners-up and Spurs finishing third. But this is just this is just football politics because allegedly, according to the reports coming out, Tottenham tried to find a date to rearrange the game. They wanted to get right. this game played. Wren said that they were unable to find a date that worked for them. So the two sides couldn't come to an agreement on when to play the game. Of course, Wren are going to say that because they go through. And Tottenham go out. <laughs> it's just like, of course, they're not going to want to play the game because it suits them. So, yeah, it's one of those. Mm. But it is the Europa Conference League, and I'm sure no one's that upset about it. I was going to say, but- it, it does nothing for the, for the integrity of the competition that UEFA are like, yeah, you know, we've got this new competition and everyone goes, well, that's crap. No one wants to play that. And then they go, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, four months into it? <laughs> yeah, the team, that, the one team that everyone actually wants to watch, they've booted yeah, them out. Yeah, you know, four months in, they're like, well, you can't play in our competition because, you know, you, you can't you can't uh, find a date that works for you. It's, it's, it doesn't do anything for the for the integrity of it. And uh, I think it's another step on the, on the route of it being labelled a joke and forgotten mm. about in a few years' time. Well, let's talk about the Premier League now and the meeting that is happening at one o'clock today. Decisions will have to be made as to what happens for the rest of the season. Thomas Tuchel at the weekend was the latest voice to criticise the handling of the situation by the Premier League when it comes to COVID infections and the new Omicron variant. He requested to cancel the Chelsea game against Wolves. He said his players were being put at risk because of that obviously the request was turned down the game went ahead but does he have a point Miley we kind of forget about the players and I don't think there's even been much talk about necessarily it's more about fans in the stadiums and games behind closed doors than the actual safety of players who are together as Thomas Tuchel said they're on a bus they're in a canteen they're training together so are we, do we, is that what we need to consider as well the safety of the individuals who are on the pitch as well as the people who are watching the game and the entertainment it provides um, I I don't really understand the, the question. <laughs> what what do you mean? Like, so Thomas Tuchel's saying basically that the players aren't being considered in this situation. That their their safety, right. their well being, is not being put at the heart of this of the decisions that the Premier League is making. Yeah, I I understand where he's coming from, but if you were that. If you were that scared and 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 bothered about the virus, no one's forcing you to play. Um, you are within your rights to to refuse, I would say. Um, no one can make you physically make you go on that football pitch. I think you can you can have that discussion with your manager and and you can say you know look I'm I'm worried about this. I don't want I don't want to get this virus. Uh, I'm scared of passing it on to my kids or my wife or girlfriend or whatever you might you might your situation might be. So um, I'm not massively sure. Um, of this of this whole thing, like the thing is with Tuchel as well, like he's moaning about you know not having players available and stuff, but he's got one of the biggest squads in the in the league. Like how how can this affect you as much? Like it can affect anyone more than you. Like you look at Burnley squad, they've got about twenty three professionals, and then youth players making them up. Um, I think Chelsea. Are the, are I think he fielded four outfield players on the bench at the weekend. I think it was four. I might be remembering that wrong, but that feels like he's making a point, doesn't it? Well, yeah, rather than necessarily that's a necessity. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea have won how many years in a row did Chelsea win the U- uh, the FA Youth Cup? Like, I think it was like five years in a row up until a couple of years ago. Like, where are those players? There, there's there's many many players that could could have sat on that bench, but it did feel like a bit of a a bit of a uh, a, a political manoeuvre to to name. You know, a goalkeeper and three outfield senior players on the bench or whatever it was. So, yeah, it's uh, it. I don't know. It it doesn't fully sit right with me. This this whole thing about well, we should, we, you know, we should think about the players because the players can think for themselves. Like I know you're under contract and stuff, but we've seen it many many times in the past for for much more trivial things than this, where players just refuse to play. Um, and I think they can they can do that again. You know. But, some you know people refuse to play when they've got injuries, uh, when they haven't got injuries. You know, I think of Michael Owen in in for for Newcastle all them years back when he refused to play because it it might um, affect his chances of getting a, a move in a month's time when the transfer window opens and his contract runs out. There's been so many cases over it over the last ten years that I don't think anyone's forcing you to do anything. So if you if you don't want to play, if you wanna if you are that worried about it, I think you can you can sort of 
sit on your on like sort of sit with your shield up saying no I'm not going to play this um I'm worried and I don't want it we do talk about player well-being and it is important and it is a consideration Niall but we're in a situation where if we push games back now there's going to be three games a week for some teams there's only two weeks left in the Premier League schedule between now and the 22nd of May when the season apparently has to finish at that point there's only two weeks which don't have a midweek game and there's already a build-up of fixtures so there's there's also you have to bear in mind how often and we saw at the end of last season players playing three times a week and picking up injury after injury after injury so there's a balance here isn't there it's not just their well-being in terms of catching COVID it's their well-being in terms of physical injury if they're forced to overperform yeah and it's also returning from COVID and then being forced into the team as was the case with Matteo Kovacic for Chelsea at the weekend against Wolves Trevor Chalabar started in central midfield he normally plays in one of the three centre-backs that Thomas Tuchel plays in that 3-4-3 system but Chalabar was playing in central midfield which I think he can do but we haven't seen him do too often and Matteo Kovacic was brought on off the bench and I think even Jurgen Klopp mentioned this in his post-match interview after the Liverpool game with Tottenham saying that you know Thomas Tuchel's had to put in Kovacic who's literally only just come back from from injury and illness and is kind of forced straight into the team because they haven't got any other players and I know Marley's right they've got a big squad and they should be able to deal with the situation and it probably affects other clubs worse but you know even some of the big clubs uh, will struggle to to field a team of the quality they want with the amount of games there is and even if we rewind back to the Tottenham conversation you know they're out of the conference league as things stands via forfeit but if they were to have reached the final of that competition they would have had to have played another nine games because there's this group game and then the two-legged knockout ties. There's two legs in the last 32, two in the last 16, then you've got quarters, semis, and then the final. So, you know, you've got nine more games if they were to have reached the final of the Europa Conference. And then they've still got 23 matches left because the Burnley game was called off to snow and their last two before today were called off due to COVID. They've got an, they've got an EFL Cup game, last 16, to play, which is set to be played in, what, two days? They've got the FA Cup where they've got Morecambe, so they're probably going to get through that. So let's just say two FA Cup games. So that averages around about 35 games between now and the middle of May. That's ridiculous. That's that's a lot of games. <laughs> it's another season, it's, isn't it? it? It's, yeah, it's another complete domestic Premier League season. Um, that's a lot of games. I've always said this on the podcast and I continue to stand by it. In the Football League where there are more teams, there's more Tuesday night games. Why don't we play more Tuesday night games early on in the season? I know some clubs have the Champions League etc etc but yeah there needs to be a there needs to be a plan so for instance the teams that are in Europe are now don't enter the Carabao Cup until a certain stage um the FA Cup have done away with replays I think things are being done to aid in the amount of games being called off um but I just don't understand where this idea that we've got too much football has come from because we've always had football like this we've always had league seasons where games have been called off we've always had league cup double-legged semi-finals and League Cup matches in midweek. We've always had FA Cup games that start in January. It's on a different level, though, isn't it, this year? Even before COVID, Jurgen Klopp and, and the like were complaining, Pep Guardiola, that there's too many matches. So, I mean, what's the solution? I mean, UEFA throwing in an extra competition doesn't help. But, I mean, what, what's the solution? Do, do, people are saying we completely bin off the EFL Cup. I don't think that's fair. I don't think we should ditch the Carabao Cup. But, you know, change the permutations, maybe. If you're, if you're a European team, you just don't enter entirely. Because surely you'd rather win the, the Europa League or whatever than the League Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an impossible situation, like you say. It's not something that is going to go away and complaints have been made about the quantity of football for some time. Whether that's a genuine complaint or not is a debate for another time. But now we're in a situation where COVID has obviously compacted all those problems. Do you think we're in a situation now, Marley, where this meeting's happening at one o'clock today? There's this deadline on the season being finished and... Uh, it feels to me like there's more chance, and I don't think it will happen, but there's more chance that the season will be cancelled and voided this season than there was two years ago when COVID first happened. Oof. Do, you, do you think that? Really? I, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's actually going to happen, but I feel like it, yeah, yeah. it feels like a yeah. more challenging situation now to deal with the season with kind of the, the, the Omicron variant and COVID and whatnot and the fixture congestion now than it did two years ago I think I think there's a more difficult choice to be made see I I don't because 
the way I see it, right, we've we've dealt with this pandemic um, by very quickly producing a vaccine, getting it out there, getting everybody um, vaccinated and, and boosted in, in recent weeks. Um, and that is the solution. Um, now, we're you know, there's this new variant, which, by the way, I don't think anybody's died of yet, by the way. Um, so I don't see the point in putting all this work in into a vaccine and then not letting it not letting the vaccine do what it's meant to do. Like you're meant to carry on with normal life with with this vaccine and all the players I know the, the percentage of, of players vaccinated is, is lower than it might need to be, but I'm sure that the whole point of a vaccine is that you can carry on as normal, um, on the back of this. So why are we why are we now going, oh well, why don't we why we've got to have this meeting and, you know, um we've We've got to have this meeting about whether we how how we carry on and all this because it's spreading and like yes it's spreading but two years ago it was spreading amongst an unvaccinated population and it was killing people like a lot like loads and loads of people died um, and that is that's a problem but now the vast majority of of everybody is vaccinated so why are we still worried about why we're we not putting our trust in this vaccine like why are we why are we still going well if you get COVID you're in trouble because the chances are you're not. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense. Like even if you're asymptomatic, you still have you still have to not be involved in a matchday squad. I know, but it, I just don't understand it. To be honest, like even even sort of the players, like if even if you have it, you know why why is everything got to shut down? As long as you test negative, you should be all right. You know what I mean? Like well, it's if, because it's so unknown at the moment, and we're we're we're, we're straying into territory we don't know enough about to discuss here, really. Yeah. But it's the unknown element at the moment, isn't it? That's the problem. It's because it is such a new thing and we don't know the full impact it's going to have because, like you said, there's been no deaths. That's true. Deaths follow, in general, five weeks after an outbreak. So you kind of see that in the future. And if there is that risk there, it's very difficult to go, well, it looks all right at the moment without without kind of having knowing that it necessarily is a safe environment. I I just don't get it. I um I don't I don't understand it. Um, I'm just reading now the Omicron deaths rise to twelve, but the the spread of it is is now putting in probably a lockdown after Christmas. That's what they're talking about. Um, a, a lockdown for twelve deaths makes no sense to me. Um, I know there's a lot of vulnerable people in society and everything, but I don't I don't see the I don't. It doesn't add up for me. I don't really understand it. But if you're boosted, if you're vaccinated, that's that is the solution. You know, all the health experts have told us that that is the solution to this problem. So why are we not trusting it? Well, I think what we have demonstrated is how difficult the decision the Premier League clubs are going to make is. Apparently, there are plans in place already that if the games do end up being a behind closed doors situation over the next weeks, months, there are plans once again to show all of those games on television, which does suggest that that decision might already have been made. We're going to leave that there. There will no doubt be more conversations involving what happens with the Premier League and recent COVID restrictions and the Omicron variant over the coming weeks. But we're going to move on to transfers. The window opens in 11 days and we'll take some of the interesting transfer rumours and see if there's any truth in them next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to wrap up some of the transfers at the moment. 11 days to go until the transfer window opens. Newcastle involved in pretty much all the chat. So there's definitely some Newcastle stories in today, which we'll get Marley's view on shortly. In fact, we'll start with one of them because apparently Man City, Arsenal, and Newcastle are all chasing Florentina's 21-year-old Serbian Dustan Vlos. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go, Vlahovic. <laughs> uh, Dusan Vlahovic. 21 Serbian Dusan Vlahovic, who, according to Fabrizio Romano on Twitter, has turned down the latest contract offer that's come in from the Italians. This is one of those names, I think, Marley, that many won't be familiar with. But clearly, hot property in Europe, given, if nothing else, the names that he's being linked with. What do you know about this potential Newcastle target? 
I know we're not going to get him. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> well, you don't think you'll beat Manchester City and Arsenal to a signature? We've got our work cut out, haven't we? Definitely got our work cut out. Um, look, he's, he's one of these sort of new players that's burst onto the scene in the last um, couple of years. I think he's got 21 goals last season. He's already got 16 and 18 this year. Um, so he's you know he's banging them in at a, a rate of knots. He's he's flying, um, but he it is clear and and obvious um, that he doesn't want to stay at Fiorentina. Um, Romano hasn't uncovered anything new there. I don't think. It, I think the the rumours are have been for the last year that he's uh, he's planning to to leave the club because um, Fiorentina are just sort of a middling. Serie A team, they're not uh, they're not challenging for anything like Europa League or anything like that. Um, so he probably does want to leave. I think his his, his price tags to, towards sixty million. Um, I think there's look, you are gonna have a hell of a job trying to attract a player of that quality to a relegation fight. Um, it is not it is not a, a logical move for him. Um, I feel like Arsenal have actually got the best chance because they've got a bit of money and if they get rid of Aubameyang and Lacazette's wages, they could have him playing every week. Um, they could probably afford the fee and they could afford his wages once they get rid of them too as well. So I feel like he's best suited for Arsenal as well um, in the way the way he plays. He's quite dynamic. He's a big lad, but he's he's got legs. He can run a bit. Um, he's got a, a wicked left foot and he's good in the air. I think Arsenal need that. Um, and they need a bit of power up front as well because in the last few years they've been a bit like Aubameyang's great but he's, he is a little bit lightweight sometimes um, sometimes you feel like Arsenal could do with a man who's who's going to batter someone up front um, and there's nothing much more scary than a 6 foot 3 Serbian up front because uh, he's, uh, especially when he can score the goals he does so um, I feel like they're in the best, best position to get him um, and Newcastle certainly aren't Feels like it's going to be a big money transfer this Nile if it does go through, doesn't it? I mean, Marley's hinted at the fees that have already been touted around. I heard 85 million quid as a potential tag on this one. And you can just see from the teams that are being connected with him, Man City, Arsenal, Newcastle, they're all teams that aren't afraid to spend a bit of cash. Yeah, I think that it's more to do with his age. What's he going to be, 22 in January? So, yeah, you're looking at someone who's scoring goals in one of the top leagues in Europe on a regular basis is ready for the next step. Whether that's the Premier League or not, we'll wait and see. Maybe it'll just be a move up to a, a more powerful Italian club. But, you know, to be that young and scoring that many goals and to be that physically developed and, uh, and be a handful, it's certainly going to be an asset that a lot of teams are looking for because, as I said before, goals are currency and strikers are always the most expensive types of players you can buy. Let's talk Paul Pogba, who apparently has played his last match for Manchester United and he's off to Real Madrid in January out of contract in June can you see Manchester United cashing in whilst they still can Marley they're not going to make back their 89 million quid but they might get a 20 million pound payoff from this one I guess and Paul Pogba I can't remember the last time he actually played for Manchester United it seems that way doesn't it um I Look, how many years have we been talking about? Should Man United keep Pogba or should they sell him or how should they play him and all this? Like nobody's ever come up with that with that solution. He's had, yeah, he had a good start to this season, didn't he? With I think he got seven assists in his first four games or something like that, and then got the bad injury and and the red card and stuff, and it sort of derailed him again. And that is Paul Pogba in a nutshell. There is very good stuff, and then there's something that just comes along and. And just sort of rear ends it and just stops everything in its tracks. Um, it's usually his agent talking absolute bollocks and getting paid for it. Um, but this time it's, you know, well, it probably is coming from Raiola's mouth at, at some stage as well because, you know, his, his future's in doubt. For me, if I was if I was Man United, I would be trying to sell him. Um, and if you can get 20, 30 million maybe from, from Real Madrid... In January, I would I would let him go. Um, I think Real Madrid need need more midfielders now. Their you know, their their midfield's quite old. Modric, Casemiro, and Cruz are all knocking on a bit. Um, so he could fit into that midfield quite well, probably in his favoured position. Um, for me, Pogba just he's 
is is too much hard work, and I mean that more in a in a tactical sense. Like to get the best out of Paul Pogba, you have to build the whole team around him. Um, and I don't think Man United can afford to do that because they've got so many stars to fit into that system. I don't think he, he quite fits into it as well as he can in other places. Um, so for me, I'd be saying, you know, thank you, but uh, we, we, will, we will let you go now. Has it been a failure, Paul Pogba's time at Manchester United, Niall? Because there have been some brilliant moments, but there's been a lot of drama that's come with his signature. Yeah, there has. And, you know, in terms of success... They've won the Europa League and they won the League Cup. That's what they've won since Paul Pogba's been there. And that was back in 2017. Mm. And Manchester United but haven't won a trophy in five years. It would be completely unreasonable years. to level that at Paul Pogba. It would be completely unreasonable to say that's his fault. Yeah, no, no. no I, yeah, sorry, I, I, missed, I didn't get your point then. No, yeah, he, he's won two trophies in his time there, but they haven't won one for mm. five years. Oh, sorry, I thought, I, I thought you were suggesting that those trophies weren't significant enough to warrant the investment in him which kind of is true but at the same time it's a load of different factors that have played into that haven't it the success of Manchester United post Ferguson yeah so my point was they signed him in 2016 and in 2017 they won the Europa League and the League Cup under Mourinho and since then they've not won anything and you know for a signing like Paul Pogba who cost 89 million pounds you'd be expecting and I know I always say this that players don't choose their own price tags but you would be expecting with the baggage that came with that having just won a World Cup uh, as well during the time at Manchester United that in the last three or four years he would have been able to kick on and, and really carry the team to something and maybe that's an issue that United have faced it's that even when Pogba's been brilliant and on it everyone around him hasn't quite been but it hasn't been often enough Paul Pogba hasn't been at his brilliant best often enough and that's whether that's a consistency issue or, or another problem I, I don't quite know but when Solskjaer first came into Manchester United he went on a brilliant run I think it was was his best goal scoring season in 2018-19 when Solskjaer first came in. Um, Marley said the start of this season, four assists in a Premier League game against Leeds on the opening day. No one's ever done that before in the top flight. So, you know, you're right, Jim, there's flashes of brilliance there, but there's also moments of desperation. And if he has played his last game for Manchester United, he won't have played under the new manager, Ralph Rangnick. So we still don't know what he would fit like in, in, in that system or if he would get a game at all. He's got a problem with injury at the moment. But Manchester United fans' abiding memory of Paul Pogba will be that in his last Premier League game for the club, he got sent off in a 5-0 thrashing by Liverpool. And that's just not the way you want to go out, is it? Um, you know, they sold him once, they bought him back. Will he go down as a Manchester United legend? No, he won't. Will he be fondly thought of? Eh, in some parts. I think in terms of natural talent, he's one of the most naturally gifted players that Manchester United have in their squad. I don't think there's any question about that. Has he been good enough? Has he been consistent enough on the whole for what they paid for him and for how long he's been there? You have to say the answer is no. I think if Manchester United don't see Paul Pogba again, I think Marley might be right. It might be a case of thank you for all your efforts, Paul. Didn't quite work out, but appreciate what you did for the club and maybe see you down the line a little bit further on. The frustrating thing for United supporters will be if he goes to another club like Real Madrid and ends up winning two Champions Leagues with them. That will really, really be annoying. But, you know, that's just all ifs, buts and maybes. You know, his last game was on the 2nd of November. It was a Champions League game against Atalanta. He hasn't played since due to injury. Whether he'll play between now and the summer, who knows? Whether he'll leave in January, who knows? But, you know, with Paul Pogba, you always feel like there isn't drama too far behind him. So we'll see what happens. It feels like he will be leaving the club, whether it's in January or whether it's in the summer. One way or another, his time at Manchester United is coming to an end. One more rumour I want to talk about, which is concerning Ruben Neves, who, according to a Spanish publication called Toto Fiaches, I think it might be pronounced something along those lines anyway, he's being targeted by Chelsea at the moment, which I think is really interesting because, for me, Neves, I've been a long-time admirer of him as a player, and it feels like he might have got to that stage, Marley, like Diogo Jota did, where it's time for him to step up and move to a bigger club with the utmost respects to Wolves. They are not. I I agree, to be honest. I think he's... What is he now? Twenty. I think he's twenty-four now. Um, I think it's time for him to step up as well. I think Wolves aren't aren't going anywhere. I, I know they're doing all right under Bruno Large, but I don't think they're gonna break into the top six or the top four anytime soon. So Neves is is the one player who 
you do feel could play above everything. I think the fact that he was even at Wolves is is bizarre with the way it uh, the way it all happened with the George Mendes links and um, Wolves becoming mini Portugal or Portugal at playing a gold a gold kit or whatever it is. Um, he's I mean he, he was captain of Porto at eighteen. Like this this kid's got everything he needs. I think he's he's done well enough in the Premier League. I think he's one of them players where if you put him into a better team. He will really thrive more. Um, I think he's got a bit of everything about him. He's, he's well suited to the Premier League. He doesn't shirk a tackle. Um, he, he sits and, and dictates play. I think they're a very attractive um, style of player that the Premier League clubs need and want. Um, is the right age. He, he, he'll cost about a, a decent fee, but not a not a ridiculously astronomical fee. Um, you're talk, probably talking 50, 60 million. He'll probably get him. Um, I think he can play as high as he wants, really, um, and I think it's 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 a matter of time before someone comes in and does get him from from Wolves. And I'm I'm don't know how it'll go down with Wolves fans, but I would feel as a as a neutral, I think like you've had him for four years. I think that is enough time for him to to give to a club and say thank you. But now I'm going to go on and and push to to join a top forty or a top sixteen. It does feel like a signing that makes sense him going to Chelsea, and I don't know quite. Sometimes that's why these rumours pop up is because someone somewhere's he's gone for Man United though, rather than Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. as a, as a okay. cheaper alternative to Rice. Like Rice, yeah, well, Rice for well, me is, is Chelsea all day. Um, never seems like my new to me. Well, that, that's why I thought it did make sense for Chelsea because it is an alternative to Declan Rice who may or may not be on the move. But in terms of how he fits into that midfield Nile at Chelsea, they have got players similar, albeit players at the wrong end of their career compared to where Neves is. So do you think that hints that there is a rebuilding underway for Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea in terms of bringing in some new blood into what is a relatively ageing squad in some positions? I don't know with Chelsea... I don't. I really don't. Um, not in terms of would Ruben Neves go there. It's more the players they've got are very capable. You know, the midfield in particular, Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic, three very accomplished midfield players. And let's not forget the players that Chelsea have got on loan that I mentioned earlier on this month on the podcast with the likes of Gallagher and Gilmore, who are two young promising players, particularly Gallagher, who's been excellent at Crystal Palace this season. You know, is he an option to save Chelsea the money that they possibly spend on a new recruit in the middle of the park. You talk about a rebuild. I think we've already seen an element of a rebuild at Chelsea. Obviously, they had the transfer embargo and Frank Lampard did his utmost to to get the most out of the players he had available to him. In his first season, he did well. In the second season, not so well. And that forced a change and Thomas Tuchel came in. But I spoke to a Chelsea fan at the weekend, actually. And he said to me, it feels like we've gone back to the Lampard days. It feels like we've gone back to play in a similar way to how we did under Lampard. Obviously, Chelsea have drawn a number of games recently. They've given up ground in the title race and that's frustrating the supporters. And what is required in January might be just a little bit of a lift, a zip to get things up and running again because we've seen players come down with COVID. Lukaku cost nearly £100 million and hasn't yet repaid the fee that Chelsea paid for him. Timo Werner's always getting in the good positions but isn't scoring goals. So in terms of like where they can strengthen, I think every manager will tell you they can always strengthen in every position all over the pitch, whether that's up front, middle, at the back. And in terms of a rebuild in recent years, we've seen them spend lots of money on goalkeepers. Kepa Aritha Balaga was a poor choice. They went for Edouard Mundy and he's a much better goalkeeper than, than Kepa and he's made Chelsea a lot more solid. We've spoken in the last two or three days about Chelsea at the back. They need some new centre-backs because Rudiger looks like he could be on his way out. And some of the other options maybe aren't uh, quite ready to continue, like Thiago Silva is getting on a bit, you know, so he might need to be replaced soon. When it comes to the midfield, I think it's a tough one because, you know, are you going to convince Ruben Neves to come to Chelsea uh, if he isn't going to get starting time? And, you know, will he be a nailed on starter in that side? Is he better than the other three midfielders that I've mentioned that they like to use? Is he better than Kante? Probably not. Is he better than Jorginho? Probably not. And Kovacic is a very good player as well. And Ruben Neves is, is an excellent player. But I think, like, like Marley says, he's probably more likely to get game time ahead of Fred and McTominay in the Man United midfield than he would in the Chelsea midfield. Now, whether he wants to move to Manchester or move to London, I don't know. 
Um, discussions will obviously be had um, at some point if he is to move on. So I think that there's there's an interesting debate to be had, discussion to be had as to where he fits in. And uh, with the Portuguese link at Manchester United as well, with the likes of Diogo Dallo, Fred, Alex Tellez, Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo, who all speak Portuguese, maybe that might be a more attractive option for him. But again, two massive clubs in this country with ambitions to win the Premier League in the years to come. Uh, I don't think either of them would be a poor choice for someone like Ruben Neves, who, as Marley says, has proven at Wolves just how good he is. We'll leave that there. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. There are more transfer rumours to come over the next few days. As we prepare for the window to open, there will be more news on what happens in that one o'clock meeting with the Premier League bosses about how they deal with COVID. And no doubt there'll be more news as to what happens to Spurs now they are no longer in the Europa Conference. That will come in the coming days on Football Social Daily. So make sure you've clicked subscribe and clicked follow so you get the next episode as soon as it's ready. And if you want the news as it happens, then sport-social.co.uk is the place to head for that. We'll see you next time. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus